All right, well, good evening again. And if you graciously open your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 1, and we got the lights up and the screen is up. And tonight I just wanted to do a study as we go into this evening where we are worshiping and Jesus and focusing on his birth to take one aspect of his birth something that I think I've always found fascinating. And it's the concept of light that is around the birth of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at that from chapters 1 and chapters 2 of the Gospel of Luke. And you would think there would be many passages regarding the birth of Jesus, but really we only have passages that deal around the birth here in the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a second. But hopefully you all have sermon notes by now. Um, If you don't, I think there might be still some in the back. Um, But when we come to this evening, we we don't know what actual day Jesus was born. There's so little that we actually know. Um, When we look around the birth of Jesus, what day did it occur? Some people think it happened actually in the springtime. Um, What exact time of evening it, it actually occurred in. I think we were talking about the birth of, like, of Jesus today around lunch, and we were talking about the fact that there's so little known about his youth. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that when Jesus Christ is born, Herod knows that a king is born. And instead of like promoting a lot of information about what's going on with Jesus and promoting Jesus, Herod is out to kill Jesus And Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, are keeping him in hiding. They're not being um, promoting Jesus, and Jesus isn't getting to be well-known. So that's kind of interesting twist as you go through this. But what we see is when you look at Jesus Christ, light is a very key concept around the birth of Jesus Christ. There's that great, not just the birth of Jesus, the entire life of Jesus. Um, This famous verse I am the light of the world. He who follows me does not walk in darkness, but has the light of the world, Jesus said in John chapter 8. And what begins at his birth is what I was trying to say, really goes throughout his entire life. And we'll see how that comes together as we work through our text. Scripture notes many different ways that light is used. We all recognize that light is used. We know that it's to lumen and to give direction. And so in looking at God's word, that concept is brought in. Psalm 119, 105 is a passage I love. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Light is used in fire. It it brings warmth. It's going to also bring judgment. Interestingly enough, this passage from Isaiah 47 brings all those concepts together. Behold, they have become like stubble. Fire burns them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. There will be no coal to warm by, nor a fire to sit before. So many concepts of light are brought in. But what we want to recognize is that light is going out into the world. And God is trying to get light to people that don't see. And unbelievers are noted as blind. I love this. I saw this. This was on an atheist page. And it's a, like an astronaut up in space. And he says, he says, I see no God up here. All right? He's blind. And, you know, we can get angry at people who aren't believers and get frustrated. 
But I want us to feel a sense of sadness, a sense of awareness, because this next slide, I remember this has great impact for me. Um, whoops. Um, blindness takes so much away, so much out of a life. This is a picture of my mother on her wedding day, and that's me probably when I was like one and a half. And I noticed our little, my mom had a poodle. I, I never you know, caught it. We have a little poodle now, a little Bichon poodle. But you can see my mom's real smiling there and you know, happy with me. And the reason I put, put these two together is because of complications of diabetes, my mother went blind the last year and a half of her life. And blindness take, took away from her ability to read. My mother loved to read. I got a love of reading. When I used to be eight, seven years old, we would go to the library all the time and bring stacks of books home because my mother was reading all the time. And my mother loved to cook and my mother loved to get out and do so many things. And I, I watched what blindness did. It took so much out of her life. You can say, yeah, she was still alive. Yeah, she could still talk to us. But the application is, I recognize that if you're not a born-again believer, you're still in darkness, and blindness is all over you, and it's impacting your life, the relationship that you can have with your spouse, the way you can interact with your children, the way you can deal with work and life. Blind people have so much spiritually, blind spiritual people have so much that can be that has been taken away from them and it's interesting i thought this passage as we're dealing with jesus tonight jesus the promised messiah look at this passage from isaiah 42 it says i will lead the blind by ways that they have not known along unfamiliar paths i will guide them i will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth these are the things i will do I will not forsake them. Isn't that interesting how God uses that light? So here we go. Let's, if you've got your sermon notes, you want to fill in the blank. Months before his birth, you see a new light. <laughs> For those of you who are technically savvy, <laughs> these are, that's the old light bulb that's kind of semi-new, and this is the really new light bulb. <laughs> All right. So Luke chapter 1, if you will. And what I want to do is I want to show you how months before his, he was born, months before he was born, a new light was predicted, okay? And you look at verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. Well, because we know when Herod reigned and what Herod does in chapter 2, we know pretty much this time period. And I believe we can set this as 4 B.C., all right? 4 B.C. Uh, And what is the context in 4 B.C.? Well, if you're in Israel, if you're alive in this time and around the whole world, there's great darkness, especially for the Jews. The Assyrians and the Babylonians have come in and brought in the times of the Gentiles. I know that I love to push dates, but the Assyrians have captured the northern tribe in 722. The Babylonians have come in and conquered the southern tribes in 605. And ever since then, Israel is no longer ruling the world. And remember, God chose Israel to rule the world, to be the light of the world. 
That was, their, that was what God wanted them to do. They were to be the blessed nation. The whole world said, no, 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 we're going to have our Tower of Babel. We're going to rule. We're going to be our own God. We're going to do things our way. And God said, no, no, no. He scatters them. He raises up one man to be a nation to the world. That was what Israel was to do. But they themselves didn't want God. And you say, all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Everybody went their own way. And whoops. And so what you had here is that is that now, because God says, I can't let you continue this way to rule the world. I've given you David, I've given you Solomon. You're ruling the world, but after Solomon goes, it just goes downhill. And so finally, things have deteriorated so much so that God takes away their light. And the Babylonians have ruled them. Um, And then the Medes and the Persians come in around 532 and and rule. Alexander the Great and his group are ruling around 300 BC. And then maybe around 200 or so, the Romans, through the present day of this passage that we're studying, are ruling and reigning and bringing their force over the entire world. And they're not treating people in a nice and kind way. I mean, they get their own way when they want to do things however they want to rule. I mean, it's these people that come up with the concept of, you know, crucifixion. Let's really try to, you know, hurt somebody. And it's Herod the Great who is going to say, you know, I'm fearful that this Jesus that I'm hearing about is really the new king. And so he kills all those babies under age two. And you think to yourself, somebody stop him. But that's the era in which this, this, this is going on. It is a very dark time. This is the world power at this time. And through this, at this time, we recognize God has also said enough, enough with you, Israel, and he hasn't sent a prophet for 400 years. The first prophet coming on the scene, um, our message, sort of like as a prophet, is this Zacharias. He's going to start to get this message that, that John the Baptist, or the, the forerunner of Isaiah 40, is about to come on the scene. And so, very, very dark time no light because of the ruling power but also because of this and i think it's important for us to remember this sin even if you didn't have a ruling evil empire over you is controlling and destroying lives this is a famous picture uh a famous uh like a mask it's um i can't remember how it um if it was found um gosh basically it's it's portraying the the shakespearean tragedies i got it off of wikipedia and and the reality of it is sin destroys lives sin brings sexual problems financial problems um interpersonal relationships everything that every one of us could think tonight about how lives have been ripped apart and people have been hurt. People have said things, thought things, done things that, and you have said and thought and done things that have hurt people. And, and families aren't together tonight because of sin. People are divided because of sin. People are hurt because of sin. Sin brings tragedy and it makes it dark. And then, as I've been saying on Sunday mornings, even if everything was done perfect and you had the the perfect relationship with your spouse and the perfect relationship with your children and the perfect career and the perfect everything and your perfect health death still comes because we can't keep our health forever because the wages of sin is death and so that is hanging over the people the people know this 
And so what we have here, what we have here is the fact that we have so much death and so much problems in the world. And so what we have is now we're going to see this passage where Jesus is called the sunrise. As we go through chapter 1, we, we see the story begin to play out. And you, as Ben read earlier, we saw in chapter um, 1, verse 37, and he didn't quote it, but if you look over there, the angel tells Mary nothing's going to be impossible with God. And behold, behold, Mary says in verse 38, the bond slave of the Lord May it, may it be done to her, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So Mary goes off and she gives this great proclamation. She's so excited that she's aware that John the Baptist is going to be born. She's going to have this baby. And so um, she comes to her cousin and we see in verse 39, Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias, and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And so there's a recognition, interestingly enough, that this baby that's in um, Elizabeth is able to recognize and be aware through the movement of the Holy Spirit what is in her presence, or who is in her presence Mary, the one who's going to give birth to Jesus. And so when John is born, look at verse 57. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard um, that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And so as the story goes off, her husband is overwhelmed and, and just greatly blessed by this entire process. They've been waiting to have children. They're in their old age, and now they've got this child. And Zacharias gives this great prophecy. And it begins in verse 67, and it says, And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. I mean, think about the impression of oppression that these people faced. They have gone through seven, eight hundred years of just dealing with so much difficulty, being kicked and used and, and beaten and watching so many of their fellow countrymen killed at a whim's notice because whether it's the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks or the Romans, that's been God's judgment upon them. And, and so yet God had also promised them a deliverer. And God is faithful. And now he's brought it upon, brought him, brought it upon as the, the promised um, process is all unfolding. So verse 72, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to Abraham our father. I want to just put a side note. You can trust him. If God promises something, it will get done. It may not happen in your timetable, but it does get done. And so... Verse 74, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Speaking of John, to John the Baptist, the father is giving this prophecy. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, verse 76 says. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins 
because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit and where in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And what you have here is the reality that Jesus Christ is called the sunshine from on high. And here's a picture from Asia, I got off of Wikipedia, that it's the sun rising up in the morning. And interestingly enough, when the, the Jesus is given this title, this is a quote from Malachi and a couple other verses brought all together. It's like a theological quote. I love theological quotes because it's not just you can't go to one reference. You've got to be able to pull together many verses. And that's the essence of this, that Jesus Christ is called sunrise. I'm going to give you that quote from Malachi specifically here in a second. But he's going to come and he's going to bring light, new hope to the people who sit in darkness. And when we think about this baby born in the manger, we think about what he grew up to do and what he's brought to us. I'm hoping that when your life gets dark, you will always think about the fact that the sunrise has come. And interestingly that Jesus has given this concept. Malachi 4.2 says, but for, for you who revere, revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. This is a picture I found of a woman ride, running early in the morning. I know Carl likes to run and walk early in the morning. Jesus was predicted as an energizing sunrise. You see this verse? You should write this down. He's an energizing sunrise. You know, when I get up in the morning and if I'm going to go out and work out and once you finally get going and you're out there, it's invigorating. God recognizes that reality that humans, through the process of a bright and shiny morning, get reinvigorated. And I can just tell you, life can beat you down. Life can bring a lot of discouragement. This is why I encourage you, draw near to the Lord. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, um, you can always get reinvigorated. And Jesus was predicted as an energizing sunrise. As we go through this, it's interesting, the concept is, continues on through the New Testament. And Peter quotes this concept in 2 Peter 1.19. And he says, we have the word of the prophets made more certain and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And I, I took this picture of a man in a very dark place with a light. And the concept here is that Jesus Christ is this light that is going out into the darkness. And he's bringing people the ability to see, the people to understand where they're going. Um, use the concept all the time. You wake up in the middle of the night and it's pitch dark and you get up and you don't want to turn the light on because you don't want to wake your wife up. So you bump into something and then you blame her because <laughs> you're still sleeping. You should be up. You know, listen, darkness brings pain and hurt. And the light of Jesus, he is called, he is described as a new light. And that's why I thought it was interesting, like this concept. The world has a lot of empty hopes and one of my favorite movies, if I can have a favorite movie of all time, is this Star Wars movie. And I love the title. And I thought to myself, I was preparing this, A New Hope, right? It was A New Hope. But Jesus Christ is the new hope. And not only did the star and magi point to Jesus, but so did John. John the Baptist 
John the Baptist, as his father is talking, is the one who's bringing this new light and uh, announcing that this new light is coming. And it's a new day. And one day the whole world is going to know about it. But for us today, in the sense, little by little, we try to let people know that there's a new day. And I wish you could see this a little bit more brighter. But what would a new day mean to you where everything changed? Well, I know when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, there's a confidence, a subtle confidence, that no matter what you face on this side of eternity, that there is a new hope. That one day, everything that you've gone through... All the people that have passed on, that have believed in Jesus Christ, that, that you can be reunited with, you will be reunited. And that's incredibly refreshing. And it's incredible hope and a knowledge that this is coming. And so I want you to think about that verse, that verse that I know in Zechariah's prophecy and, and um, Mary's long proclamation, these are passages that don't always get memorized, don't always get focused on. But look at verse 78 again. Because of the tender mercy of God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. God didn't have to send Jesus. God didn't have to send this new light. But he did out of mercy. It's by grace we are saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. Well, as we move on through this story, on the day of his birth, you see the light confirm this as a message from God this here is a picture. It's interesting. They're using this special infrared or this special light now to tell the genuineness of of like $20 bills. And the light that is used with the angels will see confirmed the birth of Jesus. I believe that is the purpose. And we've been using this picture on Sunday mornings of just a bright light because 1 Timothy 6 tells us God dwells in unapproachable light. And light sort of like symbolizes him. So as you go into chapter 2, it says now in verse, in verse 1, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. Because, you know, we want to know how many people and how much taxes we should be getting. And I don't want you to miss that. I mean, somebody wants to know how many people there are because they want your money and they want to take from you. And remember, when we celebrate people like Matthew and others that come to Christ out of being tax collectors, it's because it was such an oppressive system. I mean, sometimes we complain and we're happy in Indiana. We've got that 2% tax cap. But I mean, my goodness, remember the tax collectors could take 20, 30, 40%, whatever they wanted to. Because they had a region, they had an area, and they were just supposed to collect the minimum to pay to Rome. But anything above and beyond they could get from the people, they would be able to take because they were in power and they could oppress the people. So we, what's interesting, too, about this decree, for many years there were cries that, you know, we didn't, have, we, we didn't know when this census occurred. And, and some people had a certain date when they found out there was one census and they thought, ha-ha, it proves the birth of Jesus couldn't have happened around maybe 10 B.C. But historical documents have been found. We now know that Caesar Augustus held two census. And this is what helps us date Jesus' birth around 4 B.C. A lot of times people think, well, shouldn't he have been born at 0 B.C. or something like that? Well, whenever they put the calendars, they were... They, they, they had made a mistake. There was a miscalculation. And so the reality is Jesus, I believe, really born in 4 B.C. 
Well, you look at verse 2, and it says, This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the city of, Dave, of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because, it was the ho- because he was of the house and family of David. And I never want us to forget that that meant that he was in line to be king. Jesus' father was in line to be king. That's why when Jesus says, I'm, you know, behold, the king, there's a sense where he was in line, David's line. And so we won't go down that path, but just an interesting historical reality. So verse 5, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And again, we don't know what time. We don't know exactly, you know, how this process played out. I hate to break it to you, but I, it may not even have been in a, in a stable. It might have been in the second floor of a house, okay? There's, there, there is some word, word studies that I'm trying to work through. Maybe next year we'll come back to that. Um, we'll change the whole, you know, we, the whole Christmas play thing. It'll be a two-story house, okay? But... Um, and we just posted that online. If you missed our Christmas program, you missed perhaps one of the most endearing, most wonderful programs ever. Um, the only problem is now I can see we, we, we had the angels f- come in on a tire that was strung up. And now I don't see it here. And I'm thinking to myself, bummer, because I was thinking every Sunday morning, that's how I could come in. <laughs> you know, now it's time for Pastor Mike and just come in on this tire. That would swing in. I, I don't know. We'll see. All right. Um, <laughs> what, what you see, it says, in the same region there were among some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over them by night. Oh, oh I'll pick up in verse 7. She, verse 6. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And here, verse 9, And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And you see, it's the glory of the Lord. And it's probably, this is why we, you know, we recognize it's night, and this really would have stood out. The angels come, and they showed God's glory. However that was, it was a confirmation that Jesus Christ really was someone special and that God was doing something pretty significantly. Remember, 400 years, God hasn't sent any prophets, any messages to the people. And now he has sent John the Baptist and the story around with his father and his inability to speak for eight, nine months. And then when the baby's born, he comes out with this great proclamation and now you have Jesus being born. And you've got the, the angels coming and saying, you know, this is, this is from God and, and the light shining. And so verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. This is great joy. Why? Verse 11, for today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And thank you for coming out. Just a little side note. That expression, why a baby wrapped in cloths is a sign, is because these cloths, the word 
may be a reference to burial cloths, okay? So that would be, like, why would you put, why would you have this child um, wrapped in burial cloths? And, and so there's some thought out there that this Greek word here, which is tied to a Hebrew concept of this word di- dealing with burial cloths, so when it says, you know, because like if you come and you saw a baby wrapped in cloths, why would that be, you know? Babies normally are somehow wrapped up. But if it was wrapped up in burial cloths, that would be the sign. That would be the significance, okay? So the idea, though, here is you, you, there suddenly appeared with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising and saying, glory to God in the highest on, and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. I always think that that line is often taken off of Christmas cards because you always have on earth peace among men, but you don't have that prepositional expression with whom he is pleased. And the idea is that you have to meet his standard, and the only way to meet his standard is by faith in Jesus Christ. Um, God will, will not be pleased if you don't turn to his son, if you don't believe in Jesus. And so the light shines, and what happens is, is that it certifies him. Jesus was validated just through that little symbol. Now, it's going to continue on through his life. There's going to be the miracles he does. He's going to walk on water. He's going to heal the blind. He's going to raise people from the dead. And Jesus is going to say, I'm the light of the world, through his teaching as well. But it, don't miss it. On this night, the angels shone. They didn't just shine. You see when it said in verse 9, they shone and the glory of the Lord. I'm anticipate, I believe that is a far different light than any other light. It is an overwhelming, powerful light that was sent there to certify who Jesus was. And so as we go on, um, what we have now, as we come into chapter 2 further, after his birth, you see the light represent the universal purpose of his life. So if you're filling in the blank, universal in the sense that he touches and impacts everyone. As we jump over to verse, what is it, 25, um, we see that it's time, well, verse 21 says, when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. That We saw the name was given to him in Matthew chapter 1 through the angel, as they're told, Joseph is told, you're to name the child Jesus. And I just think it's fascinating, because in that culture, who was given the main responsibility of naming the child? The father. And, and Joseph is told, this is the name, i.e., by the ultimate father, God the father. So you don't want to miss that. So verse 22 And when their days for purification, according to the laws of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. For it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer according to what was said in the law, according to the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. Well, if you go back to the Old Testament law, yes, when a child, whether it was a girl or as a boy, um, was born, there was supposed to be an offering. But the offering... But the offering of a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons was only given if you were poor. So hence, hence, this is one of the reasons we believe, and I hate to blow the story of the magi, the three wise men coming on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, 
but they would not have been there yet because what did they give? Well, we don't know how many of them there were, but we know there were three gifts, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And if they, Mary and Joseph had gold, they would have had to buy the more expensive offering. But this is the offering of poor people. And so, hence, it's at least eight days until the Magi show up. Well, as we go on in verse 25, and it says, And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And, it, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came, into the, in the, he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to carry out for him the custom of the law... Verse 28, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. So he's now going to be able to die in peace according to your word. Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared, for, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. And here he comes up with this quote from the Old Testament, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And the reason I have this light going around the world is it may not seem really small to you and maybe not really hit you, but when he says it's a light to all the Gentiles, that's the majority of us. I mean, very few of us are really Jewish here. This is the reality. See, you remember when I said from the Tower of Babel, people scattered. People went all around the world and, and, and they went under judgment, people. And the reality was... and the God sent salvation through the Jewish people. While the majority of the people around the world were dying and not ever hearing any reality of how they could have a relationship with God. It was part of the judgment. And so now the universal purpose of Jesus is to make it clear God has always wanted to reach and always wanted to talk to people and be reconciled with people. People have turned against him. But now he's going to reach out and he's going to go out to the entire world. And so the universal impact of Jesus, this quote that gets used in this strategic place, and there's another concept in Acts 15 where this concept of the universal reach to the Gentiles is mentioned, is that Jesus reaches the whole world. And I think there are 10 different skin colors up here. It's a a really unique slide because what this represents, all the different, we call them races, but we know now we know as Christians, there's only one race, the human race, and we're all brothers and sisters. We're all the same. God split us up at the Tower of Babel, but it's all one humanity. And so the universal impact of Jesus is that he wants to reach everyone. And the exciting thing is, is now we can get that message out and everyone can hear. It's sad, though, when you realize the reality of man being under judgment. Acts 17, verse 30, this is the great passage on Mars Hill where the Apostle Paul is giving a speech and go back and look at the context later but here in Acts chapter 17 Paul makes this great declaration therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead Remember, the quote from Simeon was that Jesus is a light to the whole world. He's a light to the whole world. And this concept of now everyone can hear. 
is the idea of everyone has a chance, but God is going to also judge the whole world because they didn't, if they didn't turn to Jesus. But he's allowing everyone to hear that they could come to righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. Because you don't get to heaven unless you're righteous. Well, none of us could earn it on our own. The only way you can get it is to receive it as a gift. Tonight, we're all looking towards this gift-giving day that comes tomorrow. And think of the greatest gift that you could receive, and that is the gift of Jesus. Romans 10, verses 11 to 13. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You might read those verses and they just seem to be, you know, so like, well, yeah, of course. But you have to understand, when these are originally given, the world is in darkness. The, the, the world is in judgment. They, they have not been sent messengers from God. God is now declaring everyone could be saved. And if I was a Jew and I was reading this, what are you talking about? Gentiles, Slovaks, Germans, uh, Mexicans, South, you know, people from South America, people from Africa, people from Russia, China... Everyone can now come to faith in Jesus Christ. You don't have to become Jewish to become a believer. You can believe and retain your nationality. Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all. This is repeated numerous times through the New Testament. This was such an important reality. Galatians 3, 26 to 29, as the Apostle Paul writes to the churches at Galatia, for you who profess to be believers, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have closed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to his promise. I, I, I guess I don't want you to miss what Simeon was so excited about. I want you to grasp what happened there in Luke chapter 2, verse 32, where it says, A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Colossians says the same thing, where he comes back and he says, Again, you know, a renewal in which there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. And, you know, the Scythian people, many, uh, you know, we look at people groups like ISIS. The, this is a group that was supposed to be like them. Uh, they might have been the forefathers of the, of, of the people from, uh, from um, in the Arab world that were just known to be vicious, vile, horrible killers. And God is saying even those people could be saved. And so a light has come to you. A light has come to the world. It is a light that you should use for yourself. Jesus Christ, light of the world, how we tell people everywhere, you have to believe in him. You can't go on what your parents have done. You can't go on with grandparents have done or friends or neighbors. It has to be you. You have to believe. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And then use this as a light to guide other people. It is a a world that's in a dark place. I found this slide and I thought, how appropriate. The world is dark. It doesn't know God. We know it's rushing towards its judgment. It's rushing towards its end. And it's all because they have turned their back on God and they're in darkness. And so look how I found this slide of a little bit of light coming around the globe. 
and you can see all of a sudden the entire globe starts to light up. That's what a little light does. Turn to that light for yourself and then take that light to other people. And so tonight, here's your three points. He predicted his income. God used the light around the birth of Jesus in Luke 1 to, to predict his impact. Remember, that is what Zacharias prophesied, that Jesus would come and be a light, a sunrise. And then to confirm his message, the angels set that light. And it was like, this is genuine. This is confirmation. This really is of God. And then to universally apply the message. And so as we go forward, my hope is that one day, light will cover the entire earth. I thought that was really cool, a globe that was all lit up. All right? And so here tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to hit the lights, and we're going to do what we've historically done, is we're going to have a candlelight service, and we want to have you focus on Jesus Christ and the light of the world that he is. And as we hold that candle and we sing the song, I think we're going to sing Silent Night, uh, I want you to think about, do you believe in that light? And then are you willing to pass that light on? And then take it too and just think of what that light means to you. Because maybe 2018 has been a dark time for you. Maybe 2018 has been a very hard year for you. I know we've seen a lot of death in our church. We've seen a lot of hard situations in the past few years. Some of you have gone through so many bad things. The light is going to fully one day encompass this earth. And just be thankful and look at that light. So we need some people to help pass these out. Grant will get up here. Someone will get the lights. Let me just pray, though, while they're getting ready. Father, I thank you so much for Jesus and the light that he is. It's amazing how you use these concepts that are so profound. It is so true, God. I know for myself, I lived in darkness prior to the light of Jesus coming into my life. It is my hope, God, because of what I've seen it do for me. My life hasn't become always easier, but no matter what I faced, I always know that this light that is so small right now, in many ways is going to one day encompass this entire earth. And as the light of Christ is in my own heart, it helps me get through every day. How I pray for everyone who's a believer, God, that they continue to just focus on the light of Jesus. And it encourages them and brings that sunrise of the early morning to energize them and get through the harsh and difficult aspects of life. And for those that are unbelievers that are here today, God, may they finally turn to the light and say enough of walking in darkness i see how i live in darkness i walk in darkness and i don't know where i'm going oh god may they turn and believe in jesus tonight in christ's name amen